Amen. Thank you for that, gentlemen. Well, it's our treat to have Brother Wood with us. I've been looking forward to his coming for some time now. And uh, Brother Wood and I have known each other, I guess, close to 40 years uh, back in Bible college days. And uh, that's where we, uh, we met. God has blessed him with a, a long and happy and very successful uh, ministry in the pastorate in southern Ontario at Harvesters Baptist Church. And they've got a wonderful ministry going there. And it's only been recently that he's uh, turned over the pastorate of that church to another man, uh, his uh, son-in-law, correct? And he's doing a fine job. And so this means that he can devote his time more fully uh, to missions. Missions is big time for us. And we believe it. We believe that uh, missions is the heartbeat of God. And so I think it's for some 20, no, maybe 30 years now that he's been involved with the orphanage in the, the Philippines. Um, Ms. Hannah, I think you visited that orphanage when you were there last time. No, you're going to visit, right? Yeah. So uh, Hannah's got an interest in that, uh, that orphanage. Possibly the Lord will uh, call her there. We'll see. Um, but anyhow, he's had his... Uh, his hand in that ministry for, I guess, it's, is that correct, close to 30 years going on? And so um, he's got a wonderful work there. And this orphanage has uh, raised a lot of kids now and sending out these kids to start churches. So this is, this is no ordinary orphanage. It's a great work. Uh, also, he is a missions director for Points North, and we need more missionaries in Canada as well, particularly up north. It's a very forgotten country. It's desolate and, you know, six months of day and six months of night, that kind of thing. All those stories you heard are probably true. And um, there's people living up there that need the gospel. And so he heads up a uh, mission uh, group to try and get missionaries up there uh, to the northern hemisphere to reach souls for Christ. And so without further ado, I'd like to call upon Brother Wood. He's been here, I think, four years ago, once... Uh, and I don't remember if it's been beyond that, but he was here four years ago. How many remember him, by the way? Raise your hand. Hey, look at that. You've got friends after all. <laughs> Brother Wood, come and preach the word of God. God bless you. Thank you, sir. Magandang gabi po. Show off my little bit of Tagalog. A few of you know Tagalog. So practice here. I had to learn how to say a plural you. They have plural yous in Tagalog. You'll have to learn Mahal kita. Mahal ko kayo, right? I used to say mahal kita. They look at me strange. But, but anyway, I do love you and I'm thankful to be here. It's wonderful to see such a great turnout on a Sunday night. This is really a wonderful church here in, in Surrey, B.C. I'm glad to come back. I think I was, I visited here one other time before you, before Four years ago, I came for a service, and then four years ago, I preached here. Not quite four years, it was in April. So it's, those years just flew by so quickly. I didn't believe it myself when I looked back at my records to see. So it's great to see you all, and I watched the video with you tonight, and it's, I get emotional still watching it. For me, it's to see those children, I've watched them grow up, See all those little kids now, and some of them adults, just like my own children. I watched my children grow up, and now I have 15 grandchildren of my own. And I already have 
grandchildren who are teenagers and starting to get interested in serving the Lord. So I watch my own children growing, but it's, it's very similar and when I go to the Philippines and I see all the kids there. This year I spent the whole month of January there with the kids and really got to spend a lot of time with them and get to talk to some of the older ones. Some of those kids, I gave them their names when they came as babies. Some of the newborns don't have names when they come, and we have to name them. And I got that privilege, and now, now they're teenagers, and one of the girls singing there, Maggie, I, I named Maggie Margaret, She's, her name's Margaret. And, but we just call her Maggie, one of my favorite names, and she, she's a... Uh, She's older now, and I talk to her a lot. She knows that I named her, so it's kind of neat. We have kind of a special relationship. When you talk to a 15-year-old kid, you know I'm the one who gave you your name. It's kind of personal to give somebody a name. <laughs> your name's kind of special to you. So it makes me feel close to her. But I feel close to all the kids. I don't know them as well as I would like to. I, my ministry is a little bit more administrative role. It's a big ministry, and there's a lot of missionaries, a lot of staff. So I'm busy with a lot of meetings and a lot of preaching when I'm there. But this year, the first time since I had a little bit more time, I spent a lot of time just hanging out with the kids and talking to them and getting to know them. Many people ask me, what kind of kids are there? Why are they there? They're not all truly orphans. I don't call it an orphanage. I call it a children's home. You've heard that. We pronounce it Bayanihan. And uh, many of the, some of the kids have their parents are both dead and gone. Many of them have lost one parent, and the other one was not able to afford to keep them. I was talking to one of the young ladies, 23 years old. Some of the kids are getting older. They still live there. We have six of the children now go to college. They actually leave the facility every day, go to their college classes, and come back at night, just like your own children would do. And so we have to pay their college tuition now, and we have to take care of them. But we want to keep looking after them until they get married or until they get their own ministry or their own job. And one of the girls that goes out to college, 23 years old, and she was telling me, she said when she was about 10 years old, her, her dad just ran away one day and she was just left with her mother. Her mother was very poor. Of course, there's no social system there to take care of single moms. And she said her mother was very poor. Eventually, her mom got a new boyfriend, and the new boyfriend didn't have very much money, and he just said, you know, I'll take you, but you can't bring your daughter. So the mother had to choose the boyfriend or the daughter. And, well, you know what happened. It's hard for me to even say that. It's, you know, without feeling so emotional. And she sat there telling me, and we were talking, I'm looking in her eyes, and she's telling me this story, and we're, we're, we're close friends now. And she just had a tear came in her eye and she said, you know, this is my home now. This is my family now and I love it here. And it's, uh, the kids really do love it there. When you get to know them, they sing in the song, The Bayanihan Family. And Pastor's son wrote that song for the children's home. And they're like brothers and sisters. They squabble like brothers and sisters. And they hang out like brothers and sisters, but they really are a close family. They really are happy there. You saw Joanna there giving her testimony. and Just came four years old, so I've known her for all these years. She's uh, around 20 years old now. That's a video was taken a little while ago. You saw that school building and you saw the foundation there. That's just a couple of years ago and it's all built now. It's, it needs a lot of finishing work in the inside, but it's a big building. You, you could, it showed the update picture and it looked curved, but it's not really curved. Somebody took one of those panoramic pictures, you know, and makes it look like it's curved. 
you would, if, if you hadn't been looking when the, the teenage boys were interviewed, the school was in the background behind them there, and you could see how it looked. We're just having a new video that's almost finished, and it has some nice drone shots now of the whole complex with the children's home, and then the school in the back, and the church, and all the, all the administrative buildings. It's quite a large facility there, and it's so amazing to me now when I go there and see it. The school has nine, 19 classrooms, and they're pretty well full-size classrooms, so it's a very large school. It's four levels with five classrooms on every level, except the first level has some administrative, and it has large bathrooms on every level, which is very special in the Philippines, and there's showers on every level. The health of the kids have lots of showers now. We use it for a camping program in the summer, the school. The teenagers come for camp programs and they sleep in the two sides. So there's all these bathrooms and showers in the middle. Just our whole facility has so many multi-uses with a full church there, an orphanage there, the mission headquarters there, the children's home there, and a Bible college. That's why there's 19 classrooms. The top classrooms are all for the Bible college. So it's a very a neat facility. It's a multi-use. It's very efficient use of money with all these different things going on in the same place. It's very busy. We eat 50 kilo bag of rice every day. <laughs> That's a lot of rice. Maraming kanyan. <laughs> Filipinos have a strange language, brother. I have to give you a lesson. They have three words for rice. It's very crazy. We just say rice, rice, rice. Right? When it's on the plank, we call it alive. I don't know why you need three words for rice. Is rice in the field? I'm not on? I'm on mute. Oh, I didn't mute me. Did you? Did you mute me? Okay, it's got green light. You sure it's me? I was pretty careful. Hello? Oh, I don't talk there. <laughs> Sorry, can you hear me now? Do I have to start over? <laughs> Tell us about the rice again. Three words for rice. Palai, bigas, and kanin. When it's on the plant, in the bag, and in the plate. Oh, that was confusing for me to learn. A lot of things were confusing for me to learn in the Philippines, but Filipinos are funny people. <laughs> well, anyway, the children are wonderful, and it is exciting to see them Growing up there, it's exciting to see them now going in the ministry, serving the Lord. One of our young men, Benson, he was home when, and some of this, many stories we don't tell because there's social media now and some children don't want the stories of their hardship, you know, publicly told. But Benson's one of the young men and I asked him, you mind if I tell people your story? And he was home and gangsters came in and they shot his father to death, you know, execution style, like you might see in a police show. They kneeled him down in the living room. Boom, 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 boom. Children were all home. Four sisters and one brother, maybe, I forget their ages, maybe 6 to 12 or 14, something like that. And then uh, the mother, she didn't want the kids anymore. Then she couldn't look after all those kids, so she just left them, took off with a man. And, and all five of them came to our place. And now Benson's married. He has two children, and he's a pastor in a church in a city called Santo Tomas in Batangas. And it's only about a 30-minute drive from our children's home. So when he was just in Bible college, he would get on the motorcycle and drive to Santo Tomas and start a church on the weekends and then drive back and he's living in the children's home. So he's an orphan living in a children's home, planning a church in a town 30 minutes away at the same time. 
And that's where he would come and sleep and eat. The, the Pastor Jing and Arlen are like their mom and dad, and I'm their grandpa. Lolo, they call me. A Filipino for grandpa. So it's just exciting to see now after all these years. It was way back in 1993, after my second trip to the Philippines, we got burdened for a children's home. A friend of mine, John, he said, Pastor, you think we could build a children's home in the Philippines? And I said, I think so. He's, he, was, uh, he wanted to do this, but he really believed it should be under the local church, the children's home. He didn't want to start an organization. And so he said, Pastor, do you mind if we put the children's home under the authority of our local church? And our local church will own it. And I said, I would love that. And I, I love things to be under the authority of a local church with a pastor overseeing. And so I went after Sunday. I took my notes from my Sunday sermon, and I was in my office, and I drew a picture of the children's home in 1993. And, and the, the dimensions and the design of the children's home is exactly what's built today. And I went to church, and at that time, we had this little country church, maybe 20 people. We had no money and just a few people. But we had this old building. We had a big wall in the back, and I put this giant picture on the wall that said, Buy a Nihon 2000. And I said to the church, in the year 2000, we're going to build this big orphanage. My wife took me aside and she said, Doug, what are you going to do when 2000 comes and you have no money? I said, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I said, I'm going to change the zero to a one. <laughs> Simple, right? People ask me, how did you have faith for something like that big? And I said, I didn't have faith. I never believed it would happen. I just said we'd do it. <laughs> but, so I'm not a man of great faith, or I'm not a man of great anything. But the Lord, I believe it wasn't. Just to tell you a little secret about my, the way I pray, I don't believe that. I didn't pray like this. Oh, Lord, I really want an orphanage because I really love children. I know you're not that interested in them, but would you please send me a little money to help them? I don't pray like that. I think... I believe the Lord wants to help all the kids, and he just needs to find some channels to bless them. And so I, I believe it was the Lord's idea, and his idea was probably even much bigger, because I didn't have enough vision. So the Lord is very good. The Lord is very good. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did in unbelief. And the grace of our God is exceeding abundant in truth and love. This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am second. And the, the Apostle Paul is the chief sinner. <laughs> and uh, I am so thankful for God's grace. You know what grace is? It's getting more than you deserve. That's what grace is, right? We don't deserve heaven, but we get it. We get more than we deserve, but we can get grace for our life, too. And I was a dirty, rotten scoundrel, and I'm still not that great. And the Lord has blessed me so much in my ministry, in my family, in my life, so much more than I deserve. Before I say anything, I always like to tell people about God and His grace. I'm a sinner, and at very best, if I got what I deserve, I would drop dead right now. But the Lord has not only given me life, but He's given it to me more abundantly, and and this children's home is just a project of God's grace. He's been very gracious to us. I could share many stories about the children there. and They like to call me uh, Lolo. I, I always ask them. And we had a new girl came this year. and She had a brush cut because often they come, they have so many bugs, we have to shave their heads. She had this little girl walking by me. So I knew she was new. 
because she had no hair. And she walked by in the morning. Her name's Beauty. And Filipinos name their kids like that. <laughs> you have strange names for the kids. And so her name is uh, Beauty. She walked by and said, Meron, Meron ka Lolo, and you have a grandpa. And she said, uh, she put her head down and she looked, she just shook her head. And, and I said, uh, you have one. Uh, I'm your Lolo. And, uh, and she smiled. Next day she went by. I said, Meron ka Lolo? And she said, Opo. I said, Saan, where? And she said, Ikao, you. And uh, so that I was uh, so happy that she has a grandpa now. And so that's all I do there. I just go there to be their grandpa every year. And it's nice for them to have a grandpa. The other workers there have the hard job looking after them all day, every day. I just have the easy job, just like grandparents. You just come once a year, you spoil them rotten, and then you go again. <laughs> it's very fun. You, you would want my job. You know, our ministry started out uh, winning souls. We have a burden for souls. I personally have a burden for souls. Since I got saved, I got saved at 20 years old, and I was so thankful to be saved. I want to tell my family. I want to tell my friends. I want to tell everybody, you need to get saved. I just was so excited. Of course, I thought everybody was going to get saved once I told them. Who wouldn't? You know, you'd have to be crazy not to get saved, wouldn't you? Then I found out there's a lot of crazy people that even though they know, they don't want to get saved. But I was pretty excited about being saved. And, and our ministry has always been first to preach the gospel, our marching orders to go into all the world and preach the gospel. I like our ministry. Some very unique things about the Bayanihan Children's Home. And that is, it's owned and operated by a Canadian local church. It's a complete, I mentioned that already, it's a local church ministry. It's no board of directors, it's no corporation, there's no president, there's no chairman on the board, there's pastor, there's deacons, there's a congregation of people that own and operate the Bayanihan Children's Home. That is very special and that is very unique. There's not very many projects that are that large that are owned and operated by a local church. We have four more children's homes in Cambodia on top of that, all, op all operated by one local church. It's very exciting that a local church can do that. It's also independent Baptists, and King James Bible, and soul winning. Not, and you heard the children talking about being saved there and being thankful for their salvation. There's not that many children's homes that have really kept a strong passion to be an independent Baptist and to be a local church and, and to uh, teach soul winning and try to train up missionaries. And so that's very distinct. It's also 100% Canadian. And so many of our our organizations that help children, if we do have something in Canada, we're usually just has the name and then Canada in brackets at the end or .ca at the end or something like that. It's always a sub, a sub of a, a department of an American organization. And I just wanted something Canadian. Why can't Canada have its own ministry? And so for something that's independent, it's, it's independent Baptist, it's local church, it's all Canadian, it's very unique in those ways, and it's a very, so it makes it a very special place to me and something I'm very excited about. We're Canadian, we're local church, and we preach the gospel there. But always we went there. We went there to win souls and to start churches, our marching orders. There was a missionary many years ago named the Apostle Paul. I think the Apostle Paul was the first missionary. And if you wanted to open up your Bibles in Galatians chapter 2, and I'll share some verses with you. I could just talk about the children, stories about the children the whole day, and 
some churches, I, they started asking me questions, and it would just goes on and on. People have many interesting questions, and, but I want to share some verses with you, challenge you from the Word of God tonight. The Apostle Paul was visiting the other, uh, in the book of Galatians, he was visiting Galatia, and he was visiting uh, Peter and the other apostles, and not in Galatia, Jerusalem, and they're getting, he's getting ready to go out on his first missionary trip. And it was agreed that the Apostle Paul was called to go to the Gentile nations, and all of the other apostles were called to reach the Jewish people. And they agreed on that. When I read these verses, you'll see that. I just want you to understand the context before I, they read them. And so Paul's getting ready now for his first missionary trip. So Galatians chapter 2 and verse 9, it says, When James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go to the heathen and they to the circumcision. And so here's the plan. Okay, Paul, you're the missionary. You're going to go, and we're going to stay. Now let's say one of the men in this church decides they're going to be a missionary, and they're going to go to the heathen people somewhere in the world. We'll be excited about that. Right, Pastor? And we'll be ready to go. And so then churches have different ways of doing it. They might have an ordination service, or they might call it a commissioning service. They're probably going to have some kind of a special service to say goodbye to them. And so they're going to call them up. Here's our missionary right here. We'll have a commissioning service, and so we'll all lay our hands on them. <laughs> right? We'll probably get them to kneel down here. We'll lay our hands on them, and oh, Lord, please bless him as he goes to reach the heathen people. Empower him with your, with your Holy Spirit and help him to do his ministry. Something like that, right? You'll probably do something better than that. But he's going to go. And then we might have some last words for him. The pastor might have some last words. You know, like when your daughter's getting married and your son-in-law, you have a few last words for him. Treat her right or I'll punch you. <laughs> That's your last words, right? <laughs> and so we have some, some but when you're, with somebody's leaving like that, and it's a special time, you think, what's the last thing? What's one thing that you would want to tell your missionary when he's leaving to go and preach the gospel? You don't have to tell him, you know, go win people to Christ, baptize them and train them up. He knows that. That's assumed already. That is the purpose that missionaries go for. Missionaries go to win people to Christ, to baptize them, and to train them so that they can send others out to win more people to Christ and to baptize them and train them and send them out. And that's what missionaries do. So that's assumed. So now we want to give them a little bit of advice. What are we going to give this advice? What was the, the advice that Peter would give to Paul just before he goes on his very first missionary journey well, he just happens to say it in the next part of the verse here. He says, only, that means I only have one thing I want to tell you before you go, Paul. Only they would that we should remember the poor. Isn't that interesting? That's very powerful. That the Peter would say to Paul, okay, Paul, we're sending you out on your first missionary journey to reach the heathen people. I only want you to remember one thing. Remember the poor. I wouldn't have thought that. I wouldn't have thought that would be the one thing he said. This verse challenged me so much that God cares about poor people. This, this Bible is written by God, not by man, right? And so God has told us. Here's one thing you might tell missionaries when they're going out to preach the gospel in the third world. You might tell them, when you're there preaching the gospel, there's one other thing I'd like you to remember. Remember the poor. So how did Paul respond? Well, don't bother me with that. No, he didn't say that. He said... The same 
which I also was forward to do. Isn't that interesting? Here's Peter, says, I got one, only one thing to tell you before you go on your missionary journey. And Paul says, you didn't need to tell me because that's the very thing I was going to do anyway. That's pretty strong. I think in this context, that's a pretty powerful statement. Remembering the poor is a very important thing. And so here we are, Baptists. Baptists haven't always done the greatest job of this. And, but I think our generation has been pretty good. But I want to give you a little bit of Baptist history because I'm getting pretty old. And I'm so old, now I can remember history. That's pretty good when you can remember history. You want to know all your presidents? I can tell you all the Filipinos, the presidents they had from Marcos till now, because I've seen them all. <laughs> That's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> so I remember all those guys. I remember Marcos and Aquino and, and uh, Gloria Macapacal Arroyo. I met her. She was so little. <laughs> she, was, she came up to about here on me, and I had to buy a special brum just to meet her. And I saw Ambrose, uh, general. I saw the general in the Manila Hotel in the restaurant one day, he ate right beside me. So I've seen all these presidents. That's why you see history. So I remember now the history of the Baptist, and I met an old man named Dr. Roy Thompson, and he's a, a generation older than me. And he came, and he loved this children's home, and he loved to go there and visit the children. He grew up in, in Ohio, very poor. His father ran away, left him with his mother, and back in the 30s in the U.S., there wasn't much social network like today. He grew up, you know, very poor and very sad, but his mother was godly and trained him to be a preacher. And so he had such a burden for the kids, and he loved to go to the children's home. And he told me one day, he said, Doug, you know, back in the 30s, the Protestant churches in North America began to get very involved in, you know, feeding people and digging wells and a lot of social programs. And then they invented something called the social gospel. You probably are familiar with that term, because you're almost as old as me. Not quite. He's older than me. He's older than me. Way older. <laughs> like several hours. <laughs> quite a few hours. Quite a few days. Not too many years, but quite a few days. And so what happened was, back in the 30s and 40s in North America, as the Protestant churches began to could switch from preaching the gospel to this social gospel. We'll feed them, we'll give them wells. Don't bother them with religious stuff. Don't waste money on religion and teaching them silly things like there's a heaven and there's a hell. Don't waste time on that stuff. Just give them food and give them water, give them tools they can farm, whatever. And they called this the social gospel, that you would do uh, social good things in replace of the gospel. And the Baptists, they were upset by this, and rightly so, because we were commanded to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And what good would it be to save someone's life and let them go to eternal judgment? There's no benefit in that. There's a benefit in that, but very little. You need to have these things together. And so, but he told me, this is what this man who was one of those Baptist pastors from that time, he said to me, Doug, we, and he's speaking about himself, we went too far. He says, we as Baptists overreacted to this social gospel movement. And he said, we just would, we wouldn't, we were afraid to feed the poor or to, to do social programs because we would be perceived as being liberal or denying the gospel or the realities of a heaven and a hell. So we were afraid. And, and maybe not even afraid, we were so angry that they were giving up the teaching of the word of God and the doctrines of Jesus Christ just to feed people. He says, we really overreacted to that. 
And as we sat there one day in the children's home, and he just really looked around at all the kids, and he pointed at them, and he says, Doug, I think your generation's getting it and getting it right. He says, Doug, I think it's right what you're doing here. And that really encouraged me. He said, you know, you came here to win souls and to start churches, but when we saw the poor children, we couldn't just turn our backs on them and ignore them. You know, when you really care about people, you just can't see people suffer and, and, and not be burdened for their suffering. I don't think you can do that. I think if the gospel is sincerely in your heart and you see someone hurting, you just naturally want to hurt them. The CRA came and audited us and said, <laughs> the, the lady from the CRA, the auditor, she says, Doug, you're really in trouble here. You messed up. Then they sent a man out. This man came out and he, he said, you know, you have in your doctrinal statement, your statement of purpose, that your purpose of your church is to fulfill the Great Commission and preach the gospel to the whole world. And that's our doctrinal statement. It's very simple in our church. I said, yes, that's right. He says, well, now we're looking at your financial records. You're feeding all these people and you're helping all these children in the Philippines. You never said you were going to do that. And you've asked for a tax number and you haven't asked permission to do all this help. And I said, well, that's because we don't see a dichotomy between the gospel and caring about people. For us, to preach the gospel and ignore their pain it's pretty hard. You read the book of James and you'll see that's pretty hard to try to witness to people when you're ignoring their temporal sufferings. Even though the gospel is more important, you just can't see people's pain and ignore it. If you sincerely have the love of God in your heart, I think you're going to care about people. And so I explained that to him. He says, Doug, you're right. I know what you're saying is right. I understand what you're saying. But he says, this is Canada. You have to ask permission to feed the poor. So I said, you know what I said? I said, fine. <laughs> I, I, I probably said, whatever, because I have this thing. I have to deal with governments a lot. And over the years, I just learned this word, whatever. <laughs> Government says, do this, 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 whatever. <laughs> okay, do it. And so that's what I did. So I said, what should our, our doctrinal statement say? He says, well, it should say this. I said, well, can you write it for me? He said, sure. <laughs> so the CRA guy, Canadian Revenue Agency, he wrote it out for me. And I said, great. And I just copied it exactly. We made an amendment in our statement. There, we're allowed to feed the poor now. But... Uh, all that to say is, it's an important job for us. There's many scriptures in the Bible about feeding the poor. When we scatter abroad, we gather and we help. And so I would encourage you that, that feeding the poor is not against missions. It doesn't mean we're not concerned about soul winning. We're not concerned about worldwide evangelism. But just while we're along the way, let's help the poor while we're there. I would tell you, though, that now we have about 40 missions around the world that we look after. That, I don't mean the missionaries that we support, but I mean we actually look after them. We become their mission agency, the ministry of our church. And so I know all these missionaries around the world. We have all these missions around the world. But now I would tell you that, and it was never the plan, but the children's home is the most productive ministry that we have anywhere in the world. More people get saved in the children's home I mean saved where they get saved, they get baptized, they get discipled, and they get trained up to serve the Lord. We, have, we never started it. We just saw kids that needed help, and we just started helping kids. But because we're burdened for the gospel and the world evangelism, the two just went together. And because they're growing up right inside a church, there's, we don't have any church planting situations where that many people are getting saved and growing up to become church planters and missionaries. It's been an amazing ministry that way. 
And the two things have just blended together so well. It's very exciting. And this passage of scripture and then old Dr. Thompson, they encouraged and helped me a lot. Well, I'm, I'm really thankful for my time with you. It's very exciting to be here. And uh, you can ask me what, any questions. I'll be out there after. And I'll stay there all night talk about the children if you want. I'd be glad to do that. But again, thank you. And, and I hope I get 100% vote next week. How about that? <laughs> I'll be praying all week. And you, you're uh, so gracious to me, and I'm so thankful to be here. Now, when I got up to introduce Brother Wood, I was toying with the idea of introducing him as my father. <laughs> but I thought, no, no, that, you know, that might not be gracious. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to my father here tonight. He, uh, he really tells it like it is. If you know anything about the life of uh, George Mueller, a, um, a Prussian man uh, got saved and called of God to be a missionary in England. And he originally uh, went to a, a city called Teakmouth and he was there for a couple of years and God blessed his ministry and then felt God was moving him to Bristol, England, where he went in 1832. Shortly after he got there, uh, he started learning about the cholera. They had a huge outbreak of cholera, and a lot of people died from that. But through his efforts, his soul-winning efforts, and also a fellow evangelist, they kind of went together, evangelist from Scotland, his name was Crake, and he was a bit of a fiery evangelist. The two of them worked in tandem, and they won a lot of souls to Christ. And then in the process of doing that, they noticed some street kids, some little orphans. And so uh, Brother Mueller felt, well, we can't let these, these children just die on the street. And there wasn't really anything per se for them. And that's how he began his orphanage ministry. And he, uh, he did it by faith. In fact, if you've ever seen a picture of Mueller, he looks a little bit like my father over here. <laughs> And so I really thank God for the ministry that our dear brother has uh, in the Philippines. And uh, I know that our, uh, our members are going to uh, talk and pray and seek the, the Lord over the next week or two. And um, we'll pull in the, the little vote papers and I'll let you know what happens. All right. Yeah. Praise the Lord for that. Let's worship the Lord tonight with our our offerings, our tithes, and our gifts. It's so important that we as believers uh, maintain a consistent ministry of uh, offering to the Lord. Uh, every service, the way, the way I see it, the way I've been doing it now all my Christian life, which is 44, almost, yeah, April 6th will be 44 years, is uh, I give to the Lord at every service. The reason I do that is because it helps me give my heart to the Lord. So I give Sunday morning, I give Sunday night, I give Wednesday. And I do that 52 weeks a year. And so I just want to encourage you to be part of the, uh, the ministry tonight. Ivan, one of our Bible school guys, finishing up his third year, doing good too. He's not too bad in Greek. And uh, in fact, uh, I, where, where'd you go? There. Thought he left us. Um, we... Uh, we say uh, in Greek at the beginning and at the end of our Greek class, we say in Greek, let's pray. 
And so, Ivan, I'm going to get you to do that for us, okay? In Greek, say, let's pray. And then I want you to lead us in prayer, and then we can give our gifts to the Lord tonight. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this, uh, for all the great work that you've been doing in our community, and for all the great work you've been doing all around the world, and as we've seen through the orphanage down in the Philippines, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that as a church, that we would continually remember our the great commission to go out and save others and to baptize them and to teach them, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that we would never have, never forget this burden, Lord. I just pray, Lord, for the tithes and offerings, that you would bless them and help them to further all the ministries we have here at Grace Baptist Church. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's go ahead and sing our final song this evening. We'll stand to uh, song number 285, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. 285. Sing just the first and the last verse of 285. What a fellowship, what a joy divine. Actually, 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 actually. We have a little movie to show you. Um, we have some dear folks that uh, would like to become members of our church. And uh, so we want you to uh, watch very carefully. Uh, 
this uh, next little movie of testimony. Okay? I'm Jerry Braska. Uh, we are came from uh, Dumaguete City, that is part of uh, Visayas Island, the province of uh, Negros Oriental. Uh, we just came here, uh, me and my son, Kisan James, last August 9, 2016. But uh, my wife, uh, she came here uh, last 2011. Then, uh, going back home, uh, personally, I was saved. Uh, that was April 25, uh, 1997. But I out from the Christian family. But that is all assumption from uh, 1982, uh, that, uh, that, that time I was uh, two years old. But uh, I thought that if my parents was already a Christian, uh, I was assuming that I am already a Christian too. But uh, I was wrong. And I really thank God uh, after I was graduated in high school, uh, 1987, uh, God developed me uh, his word uh, that was a summer youth camp. Then uh, I really thank God because God uh, lead me uh, and used his servant to explain so who Christ is and uh, who am I in the sight of God. Then uh, that time uh, I accept Christ as my Lord and Savior. And uh, next month I was baptized with my pastor, and that was May uh, 1987. And uh, after that, I commit my life to serve God in full time ministry. Then uh, I go to uh, Bible seminary, then, and uh, I take a BRE or Bachelor of Religious Education. And, then at uh, 2001, so I was graduated there in Bible College, and since 2001, God used me as a uh, church pastor uh, until 2016, uh, before we came here in Canada. Then uh, I really thank God because God also uh, gave me family. So uh, there's a lot of struggles because uh, some of our brethren here, they know uh, what Philippine is, especially if uh, you are a pastor there, so uh, it comes in financial aspect, so it's so hard, you know? but uh, still God's provision and uh, God's providence in, in my family is so gracious, he is so good, he supply our needs. Then uh, we came here last August 9, 2016, but still I have struggles, a lot of struggles because I commit my life in full-time ministry. But uh, I know that God has a purpose, but uh, as of now, I really thank God because especially God lead me and together with my family with this church, uh, Grace Baptist Church, so that uh, we can feel the, the, true, the, the true spirit of uh, how to serve Him. My name is Hannah Boraska, and I was saved May 20 to 1992. And then I was baptized November that year, 1992 as well. I grew up in a Christian family. Like my grandma, she's a blessing to me. She's the one who always bring us to Sunday school. So I grew up in the Sunday school and in the church. And I was when I was in uh, grade five, 
uh, I'm already teaching the BBS and yeah but then it's like still I'm not sure I'm not fully sure that you know if I die I will go to heaven so uh, it's like for me it's still good words like you know I need to do this and that for me to go to heaven it's like there is no assurance I'm not um, I don't really fully understand yet until summer youth camp 1992 then I understand I, I do want to be like you know lost like so it's like I fully understand that it's not by good words but by God's grace through faith that I'll be safe and no one can get that from me it's like uh, that's what God promised to me that I believe and receive him as my Lord and Savior I'll be safe I'll be with him we're so grateful that we're able to come here it's like actually I, uh, before it's like I was attending a Harvest Baptist Church when my family came and uh, my husband came and then it's like we've been praying like uh, that my family will be involved into ministry and then uh, we've been praying for the right church and then God brought us here in Grace Baptist Church and our desire is to be used uh, uh, in the ministry for His glory, for God's glory so it's like yeah I think I'm on into uh, soul readers is that one of my passion to share uh, how I am saved, how God saved me and everyone to everybody how to be safe as well. My name is Kaysen James Braska. Uh, I was saved on uh, November 20th, 2018. It was uh, when we were having devotion and I told them that I wasn't saved yet. So I got saved that time. I got baptized this morning under full immersion. I can see myself in the future like, uh, doing soul winning not doing choir. Well, amen. Those were good testimonies. I'd like to ask the Baraska family to uh, come up and join me, please, up here on the, the platform. It's always a, a happy occasion when our church is able to take in uh, new members. And um, this is certainly a happy occasion. Um, the Baraska family has been attending our church for a few months now. We've gotten to know them. They've gotten to know us. And, uh, of course, um, Kazen was baptized not too long ago. Yeah. In fact, the uh, parking lot is still wet where we emptied the, the tank there. Yeah, Kazen, uh, I asked you this morning uh, if you were a teenager. You said no. Are you a teenager yet now? It's been, it's been a little while now. <laughs> Still working on it? All right, keep working on it, all right? Okay, good. Well, um, at uh, any of our regular meetings, we're allowed to take in uh, members. That's what our doctrinal statement says. And I'll just pull that up here at a regular business meeting. Uh, where did you go? Here we are. Prospective new members will be asked if they have read through and agree with the Constitution and Doctrinal Statement. That is for voting members ages 18 and up. Uh, Jerry and Hannah, have you uh, both read through the entire Constitution and Doctrinal Statement of our church? 
Oh, I'm sorry. Maybe, yes, Annie, you could stand right. over here, too. That's all right. Bring him. Hey, introduce him, too. <laughs> and this is? Uh, our new baby, baby Zyler Seth Boraska. Yeah, amen. Oh, what a sweetie. He, he kind of looks like you, too, you know? <laughs> now, uh, have you both read through our Constitution and Doctrinal Statement? Yes, Pastor. And do you uh, promise to uphold both it and fellow members of the church? Yes, Pastor. Okay, good. Well, um, now Kazan doesn't have to, uh, to read through this yet uh, until he's 18 and wants to become a senior member. So we, we, you know, he's off the hook for a couple more years. All right? Good. Well, uh, we've all heard um, their testimony, how they got saved, how they got baptized by uh, full immersion. We've gotten to know these folks, and some of you here have known them for uh, a few years. So they're good people. So uh, I'd like to make a motion that we would receive them into, uh, keep your hands down, hold on. Now this is voting members only. You know, if you're not a member, don't put your hand up, you're going to throw the whole process into confusion. But voting members only. Now just hold on here. But I'd like to make a motion that we receive these, these folks in, keep your hands down, into, I have to start all over again now that we receive them into, hold on, Marie is so excited. How about you wait until I say one, two, three, go, all right? I didn't, no, no I, I, wait, wait until I say the word G-O, okay? Uh, but uh, I need a seconder, one, two, three, go. Wow, that's, you're so fast, so fast. I don't know if it was Cora or Marie who got their hand up first. Put them both down. All right. Uh, all in favor, uh, indicate with a raise of hand. Well, this looks pretty good. Opposed, if any. So moved. God bless you. Welcome into our church. God bless you. Jason, God bless you. Now, look what I have for you here. I've got membership certificates for you. And on your membership certificate is Ephesians 4, 1 to 3. I'll read it for you. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation. That's not vacation. Vocation, that's your calling in life. Wherewith ye are called with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Jerry, I hate to tell you this, it's not a perfect church. Okay? And you're going to see, as time goes on, you're going to see some of our flaws. All right? So you just have to put up with us. Okay? Uh, I don't think you've got any flaws, so you'll be easy to put up with. Well, you might, but she doesn't, okay? Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so, this is for you, Jerry. And Hannah, this is for you. There we are. And, of course, Kazen James. Have you ever heard of a guy named Jesse James? No? He's someone else. He's not a member of our church. Congratulations. Why don't you come over here close and we'll have a word of prayer together. We have for you also a copy of the Constitution and Doctrinal Statement with your name on it and today's date. So I'll let you hold that. Just snuggle in here close, would you please? And he'll be fine. Come on in here close. You know these people. Okay, let's pray together, folks. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jerry and Hannah and Kazan and pray that you please bless them as new members. Bless the family, Lord. Keep them safe by day and by night. Lord, use them for your honor and glory. Help them to be able to win souls. 
and to uh, just fulfill your perfect will for their lives. Help us, Lord, to take them into our hearts and love them and give them any support they need as we want them to take us into their hearts too. So bless us, our church family, for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you folks. We'll let you take your seat. And in just a minute, our service is going to be concluded. Watch your step down there. We almost lost someone walking down off the platform about a year or two ago. And so uh, I'm always careful. Um, Jerry, we're going to ask you and your family in just a minute to uh, join me at the door because the members are going to want to extend the right hand of fellowship. That means a handshake. It doesn't mean a anything else, okay? It means a, it means a handshake. All right. A couple of quick announcements before we are dismissed. Uh, one is uh, this Wednesday in our adult Bible study, we're on chapter 7. There's only eight chapters, and we're on chapter 7 of Song of Solomon. Yeah. Brother, you ought to stick around. You'd like that. We're really having a lot of fun from going through the book of Song of Solomon. Whoa. It is, it is jam-packed with some wonderful truths. This Friday and Saturday, uh, we're planning the uh, men's rally down in Oak Harbor. And we try and get down there every year. It's uh, Friday night and then uh, uh, Saturday morning till noon. And they feed us. Boy, they feed us like kings. We'll eat to our heart's content. And there's lots of great preaching, good fellowship. And so the cost is very minimal. And all of the men are encouraged to come. And so that's this Friday and Saturday. If you're absolutely not able to make it Friday night, you can always... Uh, Come uh, early on Saturday morning. It starts at 9. And so if you leave yourself, uh, what does it take? About an hour to get there? Hour and a half? Something like that. Down to Oak Harbor. And it's a real sweet drive too. And I was looking at the uh, weather report. And they're only calling for two feet of snow. So, hey, that's nothing. Thing is, they're calling for two feet of snow somewhere else. For us, it'll be sunshine. How about that? All right. Well, I think that's all of the announcements. Brother Wood, would you please do us the honors? We're going to let you go down first, would you? And uh, he's got a little display table out there. Um, test him out on his Tagalog. Help me out here. And uh, check him out on his Tagalog. Talk to him in Tagalog. And uh, he'll be able to answer all your questions also on the, uh, the ministry there in the Philippines. Okay, let's stand to our feet. And we'll be dismissed in prayer. Uh, Jerry, Hannah, Kazen, would you like to make your way to the door here and I'll meet you there? Okay, Pastor Tim. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you once again for another great day that you've allowed us to, to be here, to come to church, to be alive, to breathe. And Lord, we aren't guaranteed anything in life uh, except our salvation, except our home in heaven with you someday. And God, we sure... Can't wait for that day. But until then, help us to serve you as best as we can. I pray that we would wake up tomorrow morning with a heart to serve you. We wake up with a desire to get closer to you. And I pray that you would help us throughout the week to, to be closer. When we come to church on Wednesday, we'll be closer than we were today. And a week from now, we'll be a week closer to you. God, help us just to continually uh, build our relationship with you, to spend one-on-one -on -one time with you. And I do pray for it. The missionaries that we support, pray for Brother Wood and his orphanage that you would uh, just continue to bless it and perhaps we can be a part financially and prayerfully as well. And I uh, just thank you so much for the ministry there.
Lord, just keep us safe as we drive home and bring us back safe Wednesday at 7. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Amen.